Well, when I was in high school, I uh, probably was a lot like a lot of you. Uh, me and my friends were really into going to concerts and like music festivals and stuff like that. And uh, if it was a band that we really, really, really wanted to see, what we would do is we would try to get there as early as possible so that we could get as close to the stage as possible. And while that had its ups, it also had its downsides to it. Um, the problem was is that when you got there early, you'd have to sit through, or I guess in our case, it would stand through all of the opening bands. You know what I'm talking about? The lesser bands that nobody really wants to listen to, but you have to because they're there, right? That type of thing. And so um, we would have to do that. And it'd be like, I mean, for a normal concert, it might be two or three bands. If it was like a festival or something, it'd be like, like eight or nine bands, and you're just out there like just cooking, and it's just, you know, it's just kind of miserable, like get these guys off stage. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you don't know the songs, you don't know the people, you're like even looking at it, you're like, is this, what band is this again? I'm not even sure. And the honest truth is, they just were never as good as the main band or the headliner that you were waiting for. It's just, it's just the truth. But once in a while, um, as we would stand in that crowd and we'd be listening to some band that just wasn't nearly, you know, subpar, wasn't nearly as good, once in a while you would hear like a catchy song, you know, where you're like, oh, I kind of like that. And then you hear another one and another one and another one. You're like, who is this band? All right, I kind of, this, this isn't so bad. And what we would do in my era, in my day and age, and I feel like I can say that now, all right, now that I'm a Officially in my upper 30s. Oh, I can't believe that's the first time I've ever said that in my life. Oh, okay, I don't know if I'll be able to get through the rest of this message. Um, thinking that, it's in my back of my mind now. But what we would do when I was in high school is we'd go, you know, after the concert is you go to like that band's merch table and you buy their CD. You'd be like, I got their CD, this is so awesome. And that's what you listen to for like the next six months in your car. Okay, that's just how it was. Um, and it's interesting because those bands that were opening up for like the main band, they were never as good as the headliner. Like they were never as good as the band that you were actually there to see. But once in a while you have a band that just kind of drew you in and you wanted to hear them Again, see, last month here at Grace, or for the last month here at Grace, we have been walking through together uh, the book of Luke. And remember, Luke was a Greek doctor who lived about 2,000 years ago. And Luke, uh, he wanted to know the details about Jesus' life. He had heard the rumors. He had heard all these different stories about Jesus and who Jesus was and what Jesus did and just all this stuff. And, uh, and so Luke wants to know more about that. He wants to know all the details. And, uh, and so what he does is he goes and he starts investigating all this stuff. And he wants to kind of put this all down and compile it all down into one big document. And so he was not interested in all the rumors or he was not interested in, the, hey, he said, she said, or I heard Jesus did this one time. He was not interested in any of that. What Luke wanted to do is he wanted to hear about Jesus from the people who were actually there. All right, from the people who actually heard the things that Jesus had to say and from the people who actually saw the things that Jesus did. He wanted to hear the stories about Jesus all right, from the people who actually experienced Jesus. And so he goes and he starts interviewing. In fact, uh, this is what he starts off. We looked, about, we looked at this a few uh, weeks ago. He says, I have carefully investigated Everything. He's like, I went, I talked to the eyewitnesses. I sat down with them. We had the conversations. I, I asked them the tough questions. And, and he says, so I went and we, I've carefully investigated everything about this Jesus guy from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence. So his whole goal is he wants to compile all this down into one document so we all, so we just have this. We don't have to listen to all these rumors. We could just have this once and for all. And so Luke investigated and he talked to the eyewitnesses. And so when you, le when you read Luke, think of it this way. Here's this man who's all into the details and he's basically simply saying, this is what happened, right? It's history. And he writes this down for us. 
And so Luke begins all the way at the beginning. He talks about Jesus' birth. We've been talking about that for like three weeks now. And uh, that makes sense, right? Because that's the beginning of Jesus in that sense. Um, And so we've been looking through that. But now what Luke is going to do as we get into chapter 3 is Luke is going to pick back up with the story. But this time he's going to pick back up with the story and he's going to fast forward 30 years. So this, when we start here, it's about 30 years later. And what he does at first, right, in this first chapter, what he does is he shifts focus from Jesus just real quick. It's only for about a chapter, only for chapter 3. And, uh, and he shifts it to Jesus' innocence, if you can picture it, his opening act, okay? For the guy who comes right before Jesus, and his name is a man named John. Now, there's a lot of Johns in the New Testament. Uh, we hear John, we're like, oh yeah, I've heard of John. Yeah, we've all heard of John, because there's like a bajillion Johns. It was a super um, popular name back then. Um, this, let's not get this guy named John confused with um, the other John, who happens to write the book of John, yeah, okay, you're safe, all right, you're safe here, John, John? yeah, oh, you're good, all right, who happens to write the book of John and 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, there's a lot of books named John in the, in the New Testament, and, um, and, and that was, that guy was specifically, he was like one of Jesus' best friends, he was one of Jesus' disciples, uh, we went and uh, we looked through the book of John, we studied through the book of John uh, a whole bunch last year in 2023. Uh, this is not that John. All right, this is a John, and he actually has a nickname. This is a John named John the Baptist, okay? We've probably all at least have heard of that name before. That's the John that Luke begins this story with. And so he shifts the focus from Jesus to this guy named John. And it's interesting, as he, as he begins this narrative or begins this story about Jesus, Luke doesn't begin with like once upon a time, all right, or, or hey, a long time ago, or I heard this happen once. Luke doesn't begin with any of that. Luke begins by pinning these events in history on the timeline of history, okay, which is cool. Remember, Luke, he's into the details. He's a historian. Like, that's just how his mind works, probably how some of your guys' minds work, Um, not mine. So this is what he says. He says, to begin this narrative, he says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Now, uh, we can pinpoint this actually to the year. This is about 29 AD, okay? That's the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. He says, you know, like, while, you know, right? Like, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. And remember, Herod was the tetrarch of Galilee. And remember his brother, Philip. Philip, he was the tetrarch of the region of Itera and Trachonitis. You remember that? Right? Not only that, but Licinius, he was tetrarch of Abilene. And so, and so you guys remember when that was, right? 29 AD. I just told you. Come on. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what it was. And so here he is. What he's doing is, is he's putting all this into context. He's putting all this onto the timeline of history. And it's interesting. It reads like history. You know why? Because it is history. That's exactly what it is. It's almost like, again, and I've said this before, it's almost like he's saying, hey, fact check me. I dare you. Like, this is exactly when this happened. And again, he's writing during this time, and so anybody could have fact checked him back then. And so I just want to say this. That's why if you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I'm not really sure what I believe in the whole Jesus thing. Like, I don't know what I think about Jesus or who, who exactly he was. And you're just kind of confused and all that. This is why you should lean in. Right? Because here's Luke, he's talking to and he's writing to people like you who have questions and want to know the details and you want to know exactly, did this actually happen or did this actually happen? All right? this is, he's writing this all in order so that we could know and so that we can know that the things that we've heard about Jesus are actually the truth. He's not writing like a fictional bedtime story that we tell our kids at night and say, hey, God loves you. He died on the cross for you. You know, yay. Okay, That's, he's, not, he's not doing that. Well, what Luke is doing here is he is writing down 
history. Okay? He says this also happened during the, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And God's word, this, this is what happened. He says, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, we have already been introduced to these two people. We talked about these, actually, these two guys actually the first week of the series. You guys try to remember, all right? Can you work with me here? All right, remember back before New Year's, all the way back to 2023, Okay. And then before Christmas, I know it's been a tough month for some of you guys. You guys have all kinds of things going on. Can you go back before then? All right, this is about a month ago, all right, when we first launched this series, we talked about this old man named Zechariah. He was an old priest. And Zechariah, if you remember how the story goes, now this is how Luke begins his narrative of Jesus' life. If you remember, Zechariah, he's doing his thing. He actually gets called to go work in the temple, which he did a couple times every year. And he goes to the temple, and he gets selected to work, to do this, like, sacrifice inside of the temple. And so this was, like, a huge deal, biggest deal of his life. I mean, he's so excited. And he gets in there, and there's, like, an angel waiting for him. And that freaks him out, okay? And, the, and he, he's scared. And the angel's like, whoa, hold on, buddy. All right, don't die on me now. Remember? He's super old. And the angel's like, okay, I got really, really, really good news that I want to tell you. And, uh, and this is a message from God. And number one, he wants to say, number one, the Messiah is coming. All right? Now, for us, we hear this and we're like, all right, whatever. Like, what exactly does that mean? Messiah is just an old word for the word Savior. For a Jewish guy, especially a Jewish priest, like what Zechariah was, I mean, this was huge. The Jewish people at this point in history have been waiting for thousands of years for the Savior, or what they called the Messiah, that God had promised them that would come and was going to save them in some way. They didn't quite understand exactly how that would look or what that would do or what, that, what the Messiah would do for them, but, he, but they knew that God promised them a way out. God promised them a Savior that was going to take care of their sin problem. In fact, if you read the book of Genesis, which you should should, all right? In the, right at the beginning, the beginning of time, when God makes Adam and Eve and, and the whole world and everything is just perfect, and, and Adam and Eve both choose to rebel against God, right? And God confronts them about it. I mean, we see even there where God points to this time. He says, basically saying, hey, I have a plan, and uh, this plan is going to cost me, and it's this idea that we would get saved and, uh, and that this thing would happen. And so this, if you think about it, is the plan from the beginning of time that God has had, and for some reason, he picks now. And an angel shows up to the Zechariah guy, old priest, and says, guess what? The Messiah is coming. It's time. We're doing this. And then after that, he says, I also have some other good news. Um, the baby, there's going to be a baby that you, you're, basically he says, you're going to have a baby. Okay, yay. And uh, at this point, remember, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they're super old. They've never been able to have children before. And, uh, and, and so this is like a miracle in and of itself. In fact, if you remember, Zechariah, he like doubts it. He's like, yeah, how do I know? Like, I don't know. Like, I know you're an angel and stuff. I don't know how things work up there. But down here, ain't going to happen, buddy. You know, like, this is just, you know, I'm too old for this. And remember the angel, like, puts him in shut up or puts him in, like, time out for, for, like, nine months until the baby's born. Remember that? He, uh, he's not able to talk for that, for that amount of time. And, uh, and so here's what happens. This is what they were waiting for, right? This, this baby was to be someone special. In fact, if you remember, the angel says this. In, in chapter 1, he says, make ready, this baby, what your son is going to do, Zechariah, is he's going to make ready for the Lord a prepared people, all right? He is going to get everybody all ready for the Messiah. Now, 
you got to understand that the Jewish people were not only waiting for their Messiah, but it's so interesting because one of the last words of the Old Testament, God promises to send an opening act. Right? He promises to send a prophet who is going to get everybody warm, he's going to get the crowd all warmed up for the Messiah. And basically God says this, hey, before the Messiah comes, I'm sending a prophet who will get everybody ready. And we see this in Malachi chapter 4. It's actually the last chapter of the Old Testament. And if you look it up in your Bible, which I hope you do, you should. You should look this up. All right? That after he promises that this opening act, after he promises this future prophet who's going to come before the future Messiah, that's it. Old Testament's done. There's usually, if, in most Bibles, there's actually usually a blank page in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, think of that blank page as 400 years. All right, 400 years of silence, actually. Or we don't have any record of, of any prophet showing up. God's not sending any messages. There's just, there's no Bibles being, there's no um, new books of the Bible or anything being written. I mean, it's just 400 years of silence until this day when the angel shows up to this old priest. And the angel tells him, hey, guess what? Your kid is gonna be that guy. He's going to be the warm-up act. Right? He's, going to, he's going to get everybody ready. And this is a big, big, big deal. Now, where we're at, where John's talking, or where Luke's writing this stuff down in chapter 3, fast forward 30 years. Right? Zechariah, old priest, he's long dead. Right? John, he's all grown up. He's living out in the hills. That's probably um, where he lived his entire life. And God goes to John, and he says, guess what? It's time. And so John... Pick it back up in, in Luke chapter 3. It says, John went into all the vicinity of the Jordan. Now, the Jordan is a bit, is not actually, it's not a big river. It's probably smaller than the Sandusky River. The Jordan's a river. It's actually the only river, only real river that runs through Israel. This is what it looks like today. That's exactly what it looked like 2,000 years ago, all right? Not much has changed. And around the Jordan, this is actually just north of the Dead Sea. I mean, it is like desert. Like, there's just nothing there. There's no trees. It's all just bushes along the water, and that's like, and that's like it, all right? Which is so weird, because think about it. John doesn't go to Jerusalem. Like, you would think that John, like, like think about it. If we're, like, opening up a business, or if you're, like, wanting to be an influencer or whatever, you know, whatever, like, your heart's desire is, you want to you be with people, right? Like, isn't that, like, you want to go to where the, the people are? You want to go to where the customers are? Here's John, all right? Um, he doesn't go to where the people are. He actually goes where the people aren't. And he goes out into the middle of nowhere. He's out in the desert. Yeah, he's got a river there. And, uh, and he's just kind of doing his thing. And so if anybody wanted to hear John, they had to walk to John. And some of them, I mean, most people, in fact, probably all people, I mean, they're walking really, really, really long distances. I mean, some people are walking days and days and days just to hear what this guy has to say. And so John is out there. He's in the wilderness. He's doing his thing out in the desert. And he's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then I wonder if as Luke writes this down, and he's thinking about this, and he's thinking about, I mean, Luke probably knows his, his Old Testament, and he's thinking about this, he's like, he's like, oh, okay, whoa, 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 this, not only in Malachi, not only did Malachi say that this would happen, but he's probably also thinking, he's like, well, he says it's also written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. He's thinking through this. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Isaiah wrote, he said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. See, the whole Old Testament points through. It's a story that weaves through 
telling about, hey, someday a Messiah is coming, someday a Savior is coming, someday this person is coming. And at different points in the Old Testament, we also say, see someday the warm-up act, warm act is coming as well. And so he writes this down. He says, Isaiah, he realizes Isaiah actually predicted this as well. And when this happens, people start talking. I mean, it's crazy. Think about it. You got this crazy dude. He's out in the middle of the desert. He's dressing weird. Uh, we know that he wore, like, camel hair clothes. That was not cool back then. All right, it's not fashionable. And just like it wouldn't be fashionable t today. He's got this, like, sweet leather belt. That's cool, by the way. I'm just saying. Like a WWE belt. Like, big leather belt he had across his waist. And uh, he's, like, out there eating bugs and stuff. Like, that's, like, that's what he's doing. Like, that's how, that's how he's living. And then, think about it. He's just yelling at people. Like, that's, that's his job, which, by the way, would be an awesome job. Like, if God called me and was like, I want you to go to this place and just yell at everybody, that would be so fun, um, I think. Just, and that's what he's doing. I mean, and he's yelling at people. He's just saying, hey, he's saying, guys, don't miss it. Something new is coming. Someone new is coming. And not only that, but, but Luke tells us he's out there. He's, like, baptizing people. Now, to us, we think that. We're like, well, yeah, I mean, he's, like, a God guy, so, I mean, that makes sense because baptism has stuff to do with God. Like, that's, that's just kind of what, what we think. In fact, he's baptizing so many people that um, he comes up with that they give him a nickname. He's John the Baptizer. Like, that's what he's known as. But what we got to understand is that before Jesus in particularly, I mean, before John, baptism was done. The whole purpose of baptism was to help a non-Jewish person become Jewish, all right? That's, that's what it was used for. And so baptism was done for a non-Jewish person um, who was not Jewish in any way but wanted to be Jewish. And it was really part of a huge ceremony of a lot of things that they had to do in order to become a Jew. And so you go through this big religious ceremony. There's lots of pieces, lots of parts, lots of things that they got to do. They had to go through the priests and the religious leaders. I mean, there's this big, huge ordeal. And then at the end, what you would end up doing is you would actually baptize yourself. Okay, so you go, you dip down in the water, you come back up a Jew. Okay, woo, that's what they did. Like, that's, that's what this was. But here, it's so interesting because John, he's doing the baptism, which up until this point, it probably never happened before. And so everybody's like, it's kind of like baptism, but he's like shoving their heads in the water. Like, what is going on here? What, what, who is this guy? What he's doing? Why, why is he doing this in a, in a weird way that we've never seen before? And not only is he doing the baptism, but he's also baptizing everybody. Right? He's baptizing the people who are Jews and non-Jews. It doesn't matter. And so they're all like, what is, like, this is a different type of baptism. What's this actually mean? He does not have a religious ceremony going on. I mean, this is completely against the religious leaders' rules. And so as you can imagine, all the people in Israel, I mean, they want to see this guy. They want to see what he's actually doing. They want to hear what he actually has to say. And so everybody wanted to know what this guy was up to. And so crowds and crowds and crowds and crowds came from all over. I mean, they spent, they walked days and days and days and days to hear this guy and to see this guy. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands. In fact, there may have been more people going to listen to John out in the middle of nowhere than there were people actually going to worship God or going to, to do their things in the temple, okay, in Jerusalem, about 30 miles away. And so, as you can imagine, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they hear about this and they are a little concerned. In fact, this was a big concern to them. 
This is a huge problem to these guys because here's this guy, John, all right, the Jewish people at this point in history, they have been waiting thousands of years for the Messiah, and they all know that. And, uh, and now this guy named John steps out onto the scene. He's teaching, and he's preaching, and he's doing it in a way that no one has ever heard before. And not only that, but he's also super weird. He dressed weird. He ate weird stuff. And, and there's crowds just gathering all around him. And, and the religious leaders, the last thing they want is crowds gathering around a guy like this. Because a crowd could easily become a riot, and a riot could easily become, out, come, become a full-out revolt against the Roman Empire, which at this point in history owned them and owned most of the world, in fact. And so for the religious leaders, if that were to happen, the Romans would come in, they would take control of the area, they would take control of the religious leaders, they would sit them down and say, hey, you need to control your people because if you don't control your people, we will control your people and you are not going to like the way that we choose to do that. And so the Jewish leaders are thinking about this and they're like, man, our livelihood is at stake. I mean, these guys are wealthy, they have authority, they have power, and they know that just from this one guy that all these people seem to be following for some reason, they know they can lose it. This guy who's got no authority, no oversight, no regulation, no education, right? He hasn't gone through all their steps. He's got, there's not even any explanation. Like, they don't even know why he's doing this thing. And so it's just a wild-looking guy doing his own thing in the middle of nowhere, and the whole nation runs to see him. And the religious leaders, they can't believe it. And so some of the religious leaders, they go to see for themselves. And when John sees them coming, as he's standing there next to the river, and if you can imagine, if you can picture that, that, that picture of the river, you know, they, they kind of, they have to descend down this, this valley in the middle of the desert to where John is. As he sees them coming, this is what he yells out. He says, you brood of vipers, All right? By the way, not cool. Get what I'm saying? I mean, he's saying you basically... Let me translate. You're a bunch of snakes. That's what he says. You guys are a bunch of snakes. He says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? I mean, he shouts this out, and he calls these religious leaders that are coming down to see him <laughs> a bunch of snakes. I mean, John, obviously, he didn't care about his ratings because this would not have been good for him. See, when John says this, you got to understand that immediately the crowd, I mean, there would have been a hush. Everybody's just like, wait, did he? Are you did he just? No, he didn't. You know, like that type of thing. And then there would have been a murmur throughout the crowd like, oh man, I think he did. Like, does he understand that those are the religious, those are the religious guys? Like, that's a, that's a priest he's talking to. And see, nobody, I mean, nobody talked to these guys like this. And these guys were the top religious leaders of their day. I mean, their full-time job, like literally, was to be good. Okay, that was it. Like, these guys were rule followers. They had rules that they, they created rules to keep them from breaking their other rules. Like, these guys were all about the rules. They had so many rules that nobody could possibly, you know, the, the average person couldn't possibly follow them all. And, uh, and everybody, including the religious leaders, were completely shocked because this was extremely offensive that John is calling them snakes. And this, so there's all this awkward tension in the air. You ever been in a situation where it's just awkward and everybody's thinking the same thing? We're just like... I don't know where this goes. This is so awkward. That's what everybody is thinking. And so John, at this point, he turns to the crowd. And he says, therefore, this is what you guys should do. He says, you guys need to produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. Now, I think this word repentance, which is an extremely important word, 
I think this word a lot of times is a word that we hear like in church and stuff and we're like, it's a religious word to us, but we don't exactly understand what it means. Uh, Repentance simply means, it's super easy, repentance literally means to change one's mind. Okay, so to change one's mind. So that's what repentance means. In the context of the Bible, which is where we hear the word repentance a lot, all right, it, like the context would be to change one's mind about God. That's what repentance means. And so for those of us who at one point made the decision to give our life to Jesus, which is not everybody in this room, all right, hopefully many of us in this room, um, when we did that, what we did is we decided to place our full trust not in our good stuff that we've done, but in what Jesus did. Get what I'm saying? Okay, that's, that's what we did. We literally changed our minds. That's what repentance is. We made a decision. We repented. Now, what John is saying here is he's saying we can't just change our mind about God and live however we want. Right? Like we can't just be like, hey, yeah, God, I repent. I changed my mind. We're good. I like you. All right, now I'm going to go out and live my life however I want to live. That's not what repentance is. See, us doing good, okay, let me make this clear, us doing good does not save us. Repentance is what saves us. Believing that Jesus paid our price, that's what saves us. But doing good shows that we actually believe that. Doing good shows that we actually changed our mind. Doing good shows that we actually repented. And so John is doing what he does best, and he's calling these people out. And it's super awkward because these guys are the top religious guys. And, and, and as we sit here today, the honest truth is we should feel the tension that John is trying to make within our own lives. Like, think about it. Think about it. Ask yourself this, like, not out loud, obviously, but like you in your mind. Does the way you live your life reflect your so-called repentance? Does your life match that? Or maybe as John will put it, right, what type of fruit or what kind of fruit are you producing? Think of it that way. See, John, what he's saying here is he's saying be doers of the Bible, not just believers of the Bible. See, for these religious leaders and many in the crowd, even, I mean, honest truth is many probably even here in this room today, they are all about religion. They love religion. They're all about religion. And to many of them, baptism was just like another box to check off. See, we all get what religion is. I feel like I talk about religion a lot. Religion, like the definition is like, you know, doing a bunch, it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts of all the stuff you got to do to somehow earn God's favor. Someday he'll look down on you and say, wow, I am so impressed with all your good stuff. Come on up to heaven. I'll love you here. Like that's what, that's what we think. That's what religion is. Every religion in the book, that's what religion does. It's all this stuff you have to do. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do that. All these things you got to do to earn your way to God. That is not how God or Jesus or John the Baptist ever describes all right, repentance or ever describes all right, what they're teaching. What they're teaching is they're teaching a relationship. We need a relationship with our creator. That's what's important. You see, to many of these guys, baptism was just another box that they could check off. See, we do this too, right? I mean, we go to church. Some of the, sometimes it's the reason why we go to church is so that God will be happy with us, right? So that God will look at us and be like, wow, you went to church today. I'm so proud, you know? 
Like, like that's what we think. Or we're a good person. We try to help people so God will be happy with us. Or, or we try to pray maybe or take communion and, and we do all these things. It's really in our life, like if we're completely honest with ourselves, it's really just a box that we check off. Okay, I prayed today. Check. Now I can move on with my day. I read a little bit of the Bible today. Check. Now I can move on. See, it's not, but those are things that we should be doing 100%. It's the motivation behind what we do that matters. And nobody else can know that except for us and God. See, someday I think a lot of us, we, we think that we are going to stand before God and after we die, it'll be like, hey, God, check this out. Hey, look at all this good stuff that I've done. Isn't it awesome? Check me out. Like, that's what we think. Or we'll go stand before God and we'll be like, hey, look at all these boxes checked. Bet you haven't seen this many boxes checked for a while. Like, like that's what we think, that that's what's going to happen. And John's saying, no, 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 no. That's not repentance. Right? Repentance is actually the opposite. Repentance is us going before God and kind of broken in the sense of we're just like, God, I suck. God, I am messed up. God, I have problems. I have issues. I have big problems in my life. And I am nowhere near perfect. And I will never be good enough. And so I am placing all right, my trust and my faith in what you did for me. Not that I could pay for all the things that I ever done wrong. It's not that my good stuff will outweigh my bad stuff. He's saying, no, 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 no. It's you paid for what I did wrong. And when we do that, when we make that decision, that choice, is the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life, after that happens, something in us changes. A lot of you guys know this, right? I know this because I've, I've experienced this in my own life. Something in us changes. We naturally want to do life God's way. Not that we're perfect. I wish we were. That'd be so much easier. It's just not reality. But because of what he did for us, we want to naturally do life God's way. Not to earn favor with him, but to honor him. And here's John saying, don't tell me, you know, if he was standing up here today, be like, don't tell me that you prayed some prayer one Sunday and you're good. He's saying, I want to see the evidence that you did. All right, I want to see, I want to see the fruit. Is John telling us, prove it. See, these religious leaders, they weren't putting their trust in their future Messiah. They're actually putting their trust in all their good stuff, in their ability to rule follow, and they're putting their trust into relying on the fact that they were Jewish. They're relying on their heritage. And John knows this. I mean, because John comes out and he says, don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Hey, we're Jews. God loves us the best. So, um, so yeah, we're good. All right? He's like, no, 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 no. Don't tell yourself. Don't, don't say that. For I tell you that God's able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. He's like, God can make, God can make Jewish people from rocks if he wanted to. He says, therefore, or he says, think about it this way. The axe is already at the root of the trees. So therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and be thrown into the fire. See, this is a part of the Bible that we don't like to think about because it's awkward. It's a little gritty. We're like, eh, you know, the fire. What's he talking about? He's metaphorically talking about hell here. Right? We don't like that. We love forgiveness, though, right? <laughs> it's like, man, I love forgiveness. God loves me. I like that. All right, but we don't like to think about God's like righteous judgment. It's good for him. It's right for him to judge us. Why? Because we're the, we're the ones in the wrong. Like, we're the ones who are messed up. And really what John's doing is, is he's got this idea. He's trying to get them to understand or picture it. He's, maybe he's even leaning against a, a small tree or something. And he's like, God's already got an ax in hand. And he's ready to chop down anyone 
who doesn't produce fruit. And by the way, fruit, can I just point this out? All right, fruit isn't what makes the tree alive. Like, we all know that. Fruit shows that the tree is alive. And when he says something like this, man, that should freak you out a little bit. I think it freaked them out a whole lot because they respond to this. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Fire? I don't want to go no fire. All right? They say, what should we do, John? It's the whole crowd. They're all like, like okay, uh, I didn't like that part. Um, what should we do? And what they're doing, remember, these are extremely religious people. And so what they're expecting is an extremely religious answer. All right? Give me the check boxes. And so I, you know, give me the check marks so I can check off these boxes with all the things that you need to do so I don't have to get thrown into the fire. Like, I don't want any part of that. And so they're expecting, like, you know, 10 Hail Marys, a couple Our Fathers, like that type of thing. Like, you go do some of these things and you're good. All right? That's what they're expecting. But that's not what John gives him. He replies to him. He says, no, no, no. Think of it this way. The one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the one who has food must do the same. And so they're sitting here, and they're expecting some giant religious, like some big religious answer. And John's just like, well, share stuff. They're like, what? John's like, yeah. You want to know what that fruit looks like? If you've made the decision to follow to follow Jesus or to give your life to God or begin that relationship with your creator um, and you're wanting to know what that looks like in your, in your life, well, <laughs> share your stuff. And everybody's just like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, well, I, all right, like, that's it? Like, how much stuff? Like, we want to know the lines, right? Like, the parameters. A lot of stuff, a little bit of stuff, like, just my shirt, anything else? Like, all my shirts? Like, I don't, you know, what, what's he mean by that? So they're all a little bit confused. And then... The tax collectors also came to be baptized, which is so interesting because the tax collectors were viewed as like the scum of the earth, basically, by these Jewish people. If you can think about it, these are like IRS agents, okay? And if they, we had IRS agents here, all right, they would not be welcomed here, right? No, just, just kidding, just kidding. We welcome everybody, but we would hate them. Just kidding, we wouldn't do that either, all right? We're Christians, but let's be serious, all right? Um, but like this, these are like IRS agents, but with no no laws around them, and they could do whatever they want. I mean, these guys, think about it. At this point in history, Rome is oppressive, and they are oppressing the Jewish people, and they do terrible, you read some history about what was going on in this time, they are doing terrible, terrible, terrible things to the Jewish people, all right? And so the tax collectors were actually Jewish guys, all right? And they worked for the enemy. They actually worked for Rome, and they collected taxes for Rome. And Rome didn't care how much they collect money they collected. Rome just wanted theirs. So it would be like an IRS agent here in Tiffin would say, hey, you owe uh, $1,000 to the government. And, uh, and so you're like, oh, I don't want to pay that, but I guess I will. And they're like, actually, I take that back. I just recalculated. You owe $5,000. And the IRS agent gets to keep $4,000, and the IRS sends $1,000 into the government. That's what was happening. And so these tax collectors, they were known as being as cheaters. Like they would cheat people all over. In fact, if you remember sometimes reading through the New Testament, if you notice, um, sometimes you'd hear like the religious leaders complaining about Jesus who hung out with sinners and tax collectors, right? Tax collectors had their own category to them. It's like sinners, man, sinners are bad. Like that's bad. You know, those are, that's people who have done all kinds of terrible things and everybody knows it. And then they're like, oh yeah, and then the step below, the tax collectors. So these guys were bad. And these guys were here and they are getting baptized. And so they're like, uh... Uh, we don't want to burn. <laughs> um, I don't want to get chopped down. Uh, what, what should we do? All right. 
And everybody in the crowd, they're probably like, oh, yeah, he is going to unload on these guys. Like, it's about time. That dude just stole a bunch of money from me for, like, the last decade. And so they're excited. And, and the tax collectors are probably like, well, you know, there's probably, I'm going to have to obviously quit my job because my job is no good. And, and they're, just, they're just like, what? just tell us what I got to do. Just, you know, give me the boxes I need to check off. And he tells them, he's like, well, um, don't quit your job. Just don't collect any more than what you have been authorized. And they're like, so if I just stop cheating people, like that's, that's, what, that's what this looks like? Like that's the fruit that you're looking, like, looking at? They're like, John's like, yeah. Another group of people, um, some soldiers, were also questioning him. And these soldiers wouldn't have been Jewish probably. These were probably soldiers from another country that were actually hired out by Rome to keep peace. And these guys weren't known as being good people, okay? These guys, uh, they could do whatever they wanted. They had no oversight over them. Rome did not care what they did as long as they were loyal to Rome. And so the soldiers were like, uh, we don't want to burn <laughs> either. Uh, what, should, what about us? What, what should we do? And he said, well, just don't take money from anyone or force the, or by force or, uh, or lie and be satisfied with your wages. You ever have a Bible verse in there that you're like, I don't like that one. You know what I mean? Be satisfied with your wages. I've heard some of you guys complain about your wages. Um, but John's like, that's, that's what it looks like. Basically, what John's doing, he's not saying you got to do this, do that um, to a T. That's not what his point is. What his point is, you need to do what's right. Not necessarily what's legal. Right? You need to do the right thing. And so the crowd, you need, that's just... You need to live the way that God wants you to live. And so the crowd, when they hear this, they're just so confused because they're just like, you know, you, so, so you're telling us you don't want us to do a bunch, of, a bunch of religious stuff? And John's like, no. Just do the right thing. Share. Don't steal. Don't lie. Live the way that God has called you to live. Which, by the way, when we truly repent, that's how our life looks. That's how our life should look. Not that we're perfect. And so Luke tells us that the people were waiting expectantly. And all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. They're all like, is this the guy? I don't know. He sure seems, he sure seems like the guy, like is oh, a, an odd guy who seems to know a lot about God and he's doing his own thing and he's telling people to repent. Very, very, very Messiah-like, right? Like we can all agree about that. The people were like, I think this is it. And so John answered them all. He said, no, 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 no. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am, is coming. And I am actually not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. And everybody, when they hear this, they're just like, whoa, okay. Like, like, that guy it must be super important. See, back then, the Roman Empire... Um, they had slaves. In fact, uh, slaves back then, it was not by race by any means. Uh, There's slaves of all the different races in the Roman Empire. In fact, the Roman Empire had more slaves than freed people right, in the empire, which is crazy. And so, um, so there's slaves of all races. And what the Romans would do with their slaves is they would have their slaves untie their sandals for them because you know, I want to get their fingers dirty and delicate, you know, and reach down. Like, that was, they didn't want that. And so uh, what they would do is, um, is they would have the slaves do that. But the Jewish people, they looked at that practice as so degrading for a slave that the Jewish people made a rule. They said, well, Jewish people or Jewish slaves are not allowed to do that job. Because these are God's people. These are God's, you know, they viewed themselves as a little higher. They're like, these are God's chosen people. We, you know, we are not allowed, no Jewish slave, even if you are a slave, you're not allowed to do that. And so here's John. He's saying, man, the Messiah is coming. 
and I am so inferior. Like, you think I'm such a big deal here. And you think I'm, I'm you know, I'm like, yeah, such a big deal. And he says, I'm so inferior that I'm not even worthy to perform even the most degrading task for him. She's saying, you don't understand. The guy, that come, the guy that's coming, he's the king of kings. I mean, this guy is the God of the universe. And here's John, he's saying, and I'm just giving you the heads up. Luke tells us that then, along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people, meaning the Messiah is coming. He says, when all the people were baptized, this actually happens the very next day, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. Now, at this point, nobody knows who Jesus is except for John. John knows. Right? Jesus has no disciples. Right? He's, there, uh, doing his, he's there doing his thing and it um, shows up. And it's just interesting that even Jesus gets baptized by John. Like, he's God. And what he's doing here is he's showing us that something different was happening. He's showing us that something new was here and that someone new was here. And just like we get baptized, all right, uh, to show something new has happened in our life. So he's doing the same thing that we still do even to this day. When we get baptized here on stage, we are doing it as a sign. We're showing people. We're supposed to do it in public, not in private. All right? We're showing people that, hey, this is who I am. This is my identity. My identity is with Jesus now. And can I just say this? If you haven't been baptized after you started a relationship with Jesus, not as a baby, not as a kid. Well, not as a baby. All right? If you haven't been baptized after you started a relationship with Jesus, can I just say this? You should. You should. Not to earn God's favor, right? Not to check a box in your life, not to feel good about yourself, not to feel some like magical feeling or anything like that. No, but to honor him and obey him. See, what we're going to get into later is at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus tells his followers, which a lot of us in this room, we are his followers. He tells his followers, hey, I want you to get baptized. I want you to show people. I want you to take like your first step after you give your life to Jesus is to take your first step and get baptized. Show people that, hey, you have made a decision in your mind that your mind has changed, that you have repented. And we got that coming up in two weeks. All right, so if that's something that you haven't done yet, I would highly encourage you. Don't do it, again, for the wrong reasons. Do it just to obey him because he came to save you. And when Jesus was baptized, he was praying, and the heaven opened up, which hadn't been crazy to see. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove, right? Was it a dove? No. It wasn't like a bird came and like landed on Jesus' head or anything like that. All right, this is the Holy Spirit comes down, kind of comes down like a dove. They're just grasping for ways to describe it. And a voice came from heaven and says, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. And as he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old. And Luke shifts focus to the headliner, right? From the opening act back to the headliner. And it's really the story of redemption of mankind begins to unfold. And what we're going to be looking at for the next three months or so is the next three years of Jesus' life where the Messiah finally takes center stage. And we'll pick up right there next week. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you for these, uh, for these words and just... All the stuff that, that John does, Lord, we ask that uh, if there's anybody in here that we haven't made that decision to give our life to you, if we haven't changed our mind about you, God, that we would do that here today, that we begin that relationship with you today because we aren't guaranteed tomorrow. You don't owe us tomorrow. 
And Lord, we ask that if there's anybody in this room that we have actually done that. We've done that in our past at some point, but we haven't followed. We haven't obeyed you when it comes to baptism. God, I ask that you would help us do that and that you convict them and push them to do the right thing in that way. God, we thank you for everything that you've done. We thank you for this church family that you've given us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.